Chapter 3. The Black Gate is Closed Before the next day dawned, their journey to Mordor was over. The marshes and the desert were behind them. Before them, darkling against the paled sky, the great mountains reared their threatening heads. Upon the west of Mordor marched a gloomy range of Ethel Duath, the Mountains of Shadow, and upon the north, the broken peaks and barren ridges of Erin Ledu, grey as ash. But as these ranges approached one another, being indeed but parts of one great wall of the mournful plains of Lithard and Gogoloth, and the bitter inland sea of Nern and Amost, they swung out long arms northward, and between these arms there was a deep defile. This was Sirith Gorga, the haunted pass, the entrance to the land of the enemy. High cliffs lowered upon either side, and thrust forward from its mouth were two sheer hills, black-boned and bare. Upon them stood the teeth of mortal, two towers, tall and strong. In the days long past, they were built by the men of Gondor in their pride and power, after the overthrow of Sauron in his flight, lest he should seek to return to his old realm. But the strength of Gondor failed, and men slept, and for long years the towers stood empty. Then Sauron returned. Now the watchtowers, which had fallen into decay, were repaired and filled with arms and garrisoned with ceaseless vigilance. Stony-faced they were, with dark window holes staring north and east and west, and each window was full of sleepless eyes. Across the mouth of the paths, from cliff to cliff, the Dark Lord had built a rampart of stone. In it there was a single gate of iron, and upon its battlements sentinels paced unceasingly. Beneath the hills on either side, the rock was bored into a hundred caves and maggot holes. There was a host of orcs lurking, ready at a signal to issue forth like black ants going to war. None could pass the teeth of Mordor and not feel their bite, unless they were summoned by Sauron or knew the secret passwords that would open Moranon, the black gate of the land. The two hobbits gazed at the towers in the warm despair. Even from a distance they could see in the dim light the movement of black guards upon the wall and patrols before the gate. They lay now peering over the edge of the rocky hollow beneath the outstretched shadow of the northmost buttress of Ephel Duath. Winging the heavy air in a straight flight, a crow maybe would have flown but a furlong from their hiding place to the black summit of the nearest tower. A faint smoke curled above it as if fire smouldered in the hill beneath. Day came and the fellow sun blinked over the lifeless ridges of Ered Lithui. Suddenly, the cry of brazen-throated trumpets was heard. From the watchtowers they blared, and far away from the hidden holds and outposts in the hills came answering calls, and further still, remote but deep and ominous, they echoed in the hollow land beyond the mighty horns, the drums of Boandur. Another dreadful day of fear and toil had come to Mordor and the night guards were summoned to their dungeons and deep halls, and day guards, evil eyes and fell, were marching to their posts. Steel gleamed dimly on their battlement. Well, here we are, said Sam. Here's the gate, and it looks to me that it's about as far as we're ever going to get. My word, but the gaffer would have a thing or two to say if he saw me now. I often said I'd come to a bad end if I didn't watch my step, he did. But now I don't suppose I'll ever see the old fellow again. He'll miss his chance to say, Oh, I told you so, Sam. More's the pity. 
He could go on telling me as long as he's got breath. If only I could see his own face again. But then I'd have to get a wash first or he wouldn't know me. I suppose it's no good asking what way do we go now. We can't go no further. Unless we want to ask the orcs for a lift. No, no, said Gollum. No use. We can't go further. Schmeagel said so. He said, we'll go to the gate and then we'll see. And we do see. Oh, yes, my precious, we do see. Schmeagel knew hobbits would not go this way. Yes, Schmeagel knew. Then what the plague did you bring us here for, said Sam, not feeling in the mood to be just or reasonable. Master said so. Master said, bring us to the gate. So good Schmeagel does so. Master said so. Wise master. I did, said Frodo. His face was grim and set, but resolute. He was filthy, haggard and pinched with weariness, but he cowered no longer and his eyes were clear. I said so, because I purposed to enter Mordor, and I know no other way. Therefore, I shall go this way. I do not ask anyone to go with me. No, no, master! wailed Gollum, pouring at him, and seemed in great distress. No use that way, no use. Don't take the precious to him. He'll eat us all. He'll eat us. He'll eat it. Eats the world. Keep it, nice master, and be kind to Schmeagel. Don't let him have it, or go away. Go to the nice places and give it back to little Schmeagel. Give it back, hey, hey, hey. Schmeagel will keep it safe. He'll do lots of good, especially tonight's hobbitses. Hobbits go home. Don't go to the gate. I am commanded to go to the land of Mordor, and therefore I shall go, said Frodo. If there's only one way, then I must take it. What after is what must come. Sam said nothing. The look on Frodo's face was enough for him. He knew that words would be useless. And after all, he'd never let any real he'd never had any real hope in the affair from the beginning. But being a cheerful hobbit, he had not needed hope, as long as despair could be postponed. Now they were at the bitter end. But he had stuck his master, stuck to his master all the way, and that's what he had chiefly come for, and so he would still stick to him. His master would not go to Mordor alone. Sam would go with him. And at any rate, they would need to get rid of Gollum. Gollum, however, did not intend to be gotten rid of. He knelt at Frodo's feet, wringing his hands and squeaking, Not this way, master! Not this way! There is another way. Ooh, another way darker. More difficult to find, more secret. But Schmeagel knows it. Let Schmeagel show you. Another way? said Frodo doubtfully, looking down at Gollum with searching eyes. Yes, yes, there was another way. Schmeagel found it. Let's go and see if it's still there. But you haven't spoken of this before. No, Master did not ask. Master did not say what he meant to do. He did not tell poor Schmeagel. He says, Schmeagel will take me to the gate and then goodbye. Schmeagel can run away and be good, but now he says, I purpose to enter Mordor this way. So Schmeagel is very afraid. He does not want to lose, nice Master. And he promised, Master made him promise to save the precious. And Master is going to take it to him straight to the black hand if Master goes this way. So Schmeagel must save them both. And he thinks of another way there was once upon a time. Nice Master, Schmeagel, very good. It always helps. 
Sam frowned. If he could have bored holes into Gollum with his eyes, he would have. His mind was full of doubt. To all appearances, Gollum was genuinely distressed and anxious to help Frodo. But Sam, remembering the overheard debate, found it hard to believe that the long-submerged Schmeagol had come out on top. That voice, at any rate, had not had the last word in that debate. Sam's guess was that Schmeagol and Gollum halves, or what in his own mind he called Slinker and Stinker, had made a truce and a temporary alliance. Neither wanted the enemy to get the ring, both wanted to keep Frodo from capture, and under their eye as long as possible, at any rate, as long as Stinker still had a chance of laying hands on the precious, they would do that. But whether there was really another way into Mordor, Sam doubted. And it's a good thing that neither half the old villain don't know what the master means to do, he thought. If he knew that Mr. Frodo was trying to put an end to his precious for good and all, Ooh, there'd be trouble quick. Anyway, old Stinker is so frightened of the enemy, and he's under some kind of orders from him, or, or was, that he'd give us away rather than be caught helping us, and rather than let his precious be melted, maybe. Anyway, that's my idea. I hope the master will think it out carefully. He's as wise as any, but he's soft-hearted, that's what he is. It's beyond any Gamgee to guess what he'll do next. Frodo didn't answer Gollum at once. While these doubts were passing through Sam's slow but shrewd mind, he stood gazing out towards the dark cliff of Kirith Gorgor. The hollow in which they had taken refuge was delved in the side of a low hill, and at some little height above the trench-like valley there lay between it and the outer buttresses of the mountain wall. In the midst of the valley stood a large black foundations of the western watchtower. By morning light, the roads that converged upon the gate of Mordor could now clearly be seen, pale and dusty, one winding back northwards, another dwindling eastwards into the mists that clung about the feet of Arad Luthu, and a third that ran towards him. As it bent sharply round the tower, it entered a narrow defile, and passed not far from the hollow where he stood. Westward, to his right, it turned, skirting the shoulders of the mountains, and went off southwards into the deep shadows that mantled all the western sides of Ethel Dewarth. Beyond his sight, it journeyed on into the narrow land between the mountains and the great river. As he gazed, Frodo became aware that there was a great stir and movement in the plain. It seems as if whole armies were on the march, though for the most part they were hidden by the reeks and fumes drifting from the fens and the wastes beyond. But here and there he caught the gleam of spears and helmets, and over the levels beside the roads horsemen could be seen riding upon many companies. He remembered his vision from far upon Amon Hend, so few days before, though now it seemed many years ago. Then he knew that the hope that had for one wild moment stirred in his heart was vain. The trumpets had not rung in challenge, but in greeting. This was no assault upon the dark lord by the men of Gondor, rising like avenging ghosts from the graves of valour long passed away. These were men of another race, out from the wide eastlands, gathering to the summons of their overlord, armies that had encamped before his gate by night, now marched in to swell his mounting power. As if suddenly made fully aware of the peril of their position, alone in the growing light of day, so near to this vast menace, Frodo quickly drew his frail grey hood close upon his head and stepped down into the dell. Then he turned to Gollum. Schmeagel, he said, I will trust you once more. Indeed, it seems that I must, and that it must be my fate to receive help from you where I least look for it, and your fate to help me, 
whom you long pursued with evil purpose. So far you've deserved well of me and kept your promise truly. Truly, I say and mean, he said, adding with a glance to Sam. For twice now we've been in your power, and you've done no harm to us, nor have you tried to take from me what you once sought. May the third time prove the best, but I warn you, Schmeagel, you are in danger. Yes, yes, master, said Gollum, dreadful danger. Schmeagel's bones shake to think of it, but he doesn't run away. He must help nice master. I do not mean the danger that we all share, said Frodo. I mean yourself alone. You swore a promise by what you call the precious. Remember that. It will hold you to it, but it will seek a way to twist it to your own undoing. Already you are being twisted. You reveal yourself to me just now, foolish. Absolutely foolishly. Give it back to Schmeagel, you said. Do not say that again. Do not let that thought grow in you. You will never get it back. But the desire of it may betray you to a bitter end. You will never get it back. In the last need, Schmeagel, I should put on the precious. And the precious mastered you long ago. If I, wearing it, were to command you, you would obey. Even if it were to leap from a precipice or cast yourself into the fire. And such would be my command. So have a care, Schmeagel. Sam looked at his master with approval, but also with surprise. There was a look on his face and a tone in his voice they did not know him before. It had always been a notion of his that the kindness of dear Mr. Frodo was of such a high degree that it must imply a fair measure of blindness. Of course, he also held firmly the incompatible belief that Mr. Frodo was the wisest person in the world, with the exception of perhaps Mr. Bilbo and of Gandalf. Gollum, in his own way, and with much more excuse, as his acquaintance was much briefer, may have had made a similar mistake, confusing kindness and blindness. At any rate, the speech abashed and terrified him. He groveled on the ground and could speak no clear words but nice master, nice master. Frodo waited patiently for a while, then he spoke again, less sternly. Come now, Gollum, or Schmeagel if you wish. Tell me of this other way, and show me if you can. What hope there is in it, enough to justify me in turning aside from my plain path? I am in haste. But Gollum was in a pitiable state, and Frodo's threat had quite unnerved him. It was not easy to get any clear account out of him amid his mumblings and squeakings, and frequent interruptions in which he crawled to the floor and begged them both to be kind to poor Schmeagel. After a while he grew calmer, and Frodo gathered bit by bit that, if a traveller followed the road that turned west of Efeldorath, he would come in time to a crossing of dark circles of trees. On the right, a road went down to Oskaliath and the bridges of Anduin. In the middle, the road went on southwards. On, 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 said Gollum. We never went that way, but they say it goes a hundred leagues until you can see the great water that is never still. There are lots of fishes there, and big birds eat fishes, nice birds, but we never went there, we never had a chance. And further still, there are more lands, they say, but the yellow face is very hot there, and there are seldom any clouds, and men are fierce. We do not want to see that land. No, said Frodo, but do not wander from your road. What are the third turning? 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's a third way, said Gollum. That is the road to the left. At once it begins to climb up, 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 winding and climbing back towards the tall shadows. Then it turns back around the black rock. You see it? See it? See it? Suddenly you'll see it above you and you'll want to hide. See it? What will you see? The old fortress, very old, very horrible now. We used to hear tales from the south when Schmiegel was young, long ago, long ago, yes. We used to tell tales in the evening, sitting by the banks of the great river, in the willow lands when the river was younger too. Gollum! Gollum! He began to weep and mutter. The hobbits waited patiently. Tales out of the south, Gollum went on again, about tall men with shining eyes and their houses like hills of stone and the silver crown of their king and his white tree. Wonderful towers. They built a tall tower. One they raised was silver white, and in it was a stone like the moon, and round it were great white walls. Oh, there were many tales about the Tower of the Moon. That would be Minister Thilm and Isilda, the one that the son of Elendil built, said Frodo. It was Isilda who cut off the finger of the enemy. Yes, he has only four in the black hand, but they are enough, said Gollum. And he hated a silver city. What does he not hate, said Frodo. But what has the Tower of the Moon got to do with us? Well, master, there it was and there it is. The tall tower and the white houses in the wall. But not nice now, not beautiful. He conquered it. It's a terrible place now. Travellers shiver when they see it and they creep out of sight. They avoid its shadow. But master will have to go that way. That is the only way for the mountain to lower there. And the old road goes up, 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 until it reaches the dark pass at the top. And then it goes down, down, down again to Gorgoroth. His voice sank to a whisper, and he shuddered. But how will that help us, asked Sam. Surely the enemy knows all about his own mountains, and the road will be guarded as close as this. The tower isn't empty, is it? Oh no, not empty. It seems empty, but it isn't. No. Very dreadful things live there. Orcs? Always orcs. But worse things, worse things live there too. The road climbs right under the shadow of the walls and passes the gate. Nothing moves on on the road that they don't know about. The things inside know. The silent watches. So that's your advice, is it? Said Sam. That we go another way, long march south, to find ourselves in the same fix or a worse one. When we get there. If we get there. No, 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 not indeed, said Gollum. Hobbits must see, they must try to understand. He does not expect an attack that way. His eye is all around, but it attends more to some places than others. He can't see everything all at once, no. You see, he has conquered all the country west of the shadowy mountains down the river, and he holds the bridges now. He thinks no one can come to the moon tower without fighting a big battle at the bridges or getting lots of boats which they cannot hide, and he will know about. You seem to know a lot about what he's doing and thinking, said Sam. Have you talked to him lately? Or just hobnobbing with your orcs? Not nice, hobbit. Not sensible, said Gollum, giving Sam an angry glance and turned to Frodo. Schmeagel talks to orcs, yes. Before he met Master, and to many people, he has walked very far. And in what he says now, many people are saying... It's here in the north that the big danger is for him and for us. He'll come out of the Black Gate one day, one day soon. That is the only way big armies can come. 
but away down west he is not afraid, and there are silent watchers. Hmm, just so, said Sam, not to be put off. And so we're to walk up and knock at their gate and ask if we're on the right road for Mordor. Or are they too silent to answer? That's not sense. We might as well do it here and save ourselves a long walk. Don't make jokes about it, said Colin. It's not funny. Oh no, not amusing. It's not sense to go and try and get to Mordor at all. But if Master says, I must go, or I will go, then he will try some other way. But he must not go into the terrible city. Oh no. There's where Schmeagel helps. Nice Schmeagel. Though no one tells him what it's all about. Schmeagel helps again. He helps. He finds. He knows. What did you find? asked Frodo. Colin crouched down and his voice sank to a whisper again. A little path leading up into the mountains and then a stair, a narrow stair. Very long, very narrow. And then a tunnel, a dark tunnel, and at last a little cleft and a path high above the mountain pass. That way, Schmeagel got out of darkness. But that was years ago. The path may have vanished now, but perhaps not, perhaps not. I don't like the sound of it at all, said Sam. It sounds too easy at any rate in the telling. If that path is still there, it will be guarded. Wasn't it guarded, Gollum? As he said this, he caught, or fancied, he caught a green gleam in Gollum's eye. Gollum muttered, but did not reply. Is it not guarded? asked Frodo sternly. And did you escape out of darkness, Schmeagel? Or were you not rather permitted to depart upon an errand? At least that's what Aragorn thought, who found you by the dead marshes some years ago. It's a lie! hissed Gollum, and an evil light came into his eyes at the name of Aragorn. He lied on me. Yes, he did. I did escape all by myself. Indeed, I was told to seek for the precious. And I have searched and searched. Of course I have, but not for the black one. The precious was ours. It was mine. I tell you, I did escape. Frodo felt for a strange certainty that in this matter, Gollum was for once not so far from the truth as might be suspected. That he had somehow found a way out of Mordor and at least believed it was by his own cunning. For one thing, he noted that Gollum used I, and it seemed unusually, sorry, usually to be a sign on its rare appearances, that some remnants of the old truth and sincerity for a moment were on top. But even if Gollum could be trusted at this point, Frodo did not forget the wiles of the enemy. The escape may have been allowed or arranged, and well known in the Dark Tower. And in any case, Gollum was plainly keeping a good deal back. I ask you again, he said, is this secret way guarded? But the name of Aragorn had put Gollum in a sullen mood. He had all the injured ear of a liar suspected when for once he was told the truth or part of it, or once he had been telling the truth or part of it. He did not answer. Is it guarded? Frodo repeated. Yes, yes, perhaps. No safe places in this country, said Gollum sulkily. No safe places. But Master must try it or go home, no other way. They couldn't get him to say more. The name of the perilous place in the high pass he could not tell, or would not. Its name was Sirith Angul, a name of terrible, dreadful rumour. Aragorn perhaps could have told them that name and its significance, 
Gandalf would have warned them. But they were alone, and Aragorn was far away, and Gandalf stood amidst the ruins of Isengard and strove with Saruman, delayed by treason. Yet even as he spoke his last words to Saruman, and the Palantir crashed upon the fire on the steps of Orthnut, his thought was ever upon Frodo and Samwise, with the long legs his mind sought for them in hope and pity. Maybe Frodo felt it, not knowing it, as he had upon Ammon Hen, even though he believed Gandalf was gone, gone forever in the shadow of Moria far away. He sat upon the ground for a while, silent, his head bowed, striving to recall all that Gandalf had said to him. But for this choice, he could recall no counsel. Indeed, Gandalf's guidance had been taken away from him too soon, for the dark land was still very far away. How they should enter it at last, Gandalf had not said. Perhaps he could not say. Into the stronghold of the enemy in the north, into Dol Gudur, he had once ventured. But into Mordor? To the mountain fire and to Baron Dor? Since the Dark Lord rose in power again, had he ever journeyed there? Frodo did not think so. And here he was a little halfling from the Shire, a simple hobbit of the quiet countryside, expected to find a way where the Great Ones could not go, or dared not go. It was an evil fate, but he had taken it on himself in his own sitting room in a far-off spring of another year, so remote now that it was like a chapter in a story of the world's youth, when the trees of silver and gold were still in bloom. This was an evil choice. Which way should he choose, and if both lead to horror and death, what good laden choice? The day drew on. A deep silence fell upon their little grey hollow where they lay, so near to the borders of the land of fear. A silence that could be felt, as if it were a thick veil that cut them off from the world about them. Above them was a dome of pale sky, barred from f with fleeting smoke, but it seemed high and far away, as if seeing through great depths of air heavy with brooding thought. Not even an eagle poised against the sun would have marked the hobbits sitting there, under the weight of doom, silent and not moving, shrouded in their thin grey cloaks. For a moment he might have paused to consider Gollum, a tiny figure sprawling on the ground. There perhaps lay the famished skeleton of the some children of men, its ragged garment still clinging to it, its long arms and legs almost bone white and bone thin, no flesh worth the peck. Frodo's head was bowed over his knees, but Sam leaned back with his hands beside his head, staring out of his hood at the empty sky. At least for a while, it was empty. Then presently Sam thought that he could see a dark, bird-like figure wheel into the circle of his sight, and hover, and then wheel away again. Two more followed, then a fourth. They were very small to look at, yet he knew somehow that they were huge, with a vast stretch of pinion flying at a great height. He covered his eyes and bent forward, cowering. The same warning fear was on him that he had felt in the presence of the Black Riders. The helpless horror that had come with the cry in the wind and the shadow in the moon. But now it was not so crushing or compelling, and the menace was more remote. But menace it was. Frodo felt it too. His thought was broken. He stirred and shivered, but he did not look up. Gollum huddled himself together like a cornered spider. The winged shapes wheeled and stooped swiftly down and sped back to Mordor. Sam took a deep breath. The riders are about again.
up in the air, he said in a hoarse whisper. I saw them. Do you think they could see us? They're very high up. And if they are black riders, same as before, they can't see much by daylight, can they? No, perhaps not, said Frodo. But their steeds could see. And these winged creatures they ride now, they can probably see more than any other creature. They're like great carrion birds. They're looking for something. The enemy is on the watch, I fear. The feeling of dread passed, but the enfolding silence was broken. For some time they had been cut off from the world as if in an invisible island, and now they were laid bare again. Peril had returned. But Frodo did not speak to Gollum or make his choice. His eyes were closed as if he were dreaming or looking inward into his heart and memory. At last he stirred and stood up, and it seemed that he was about to speak and decide. But, hark, he said, what is that? A new fear was upon them. They heard singing and hoarse shouting. At first it seemed a long way off, but it drew nearer. It was coming towards them. It leaped into all their minds that the black wings had spied them and sent their armed soldiers to see them, seize them. No speed to seemed too great for those terrible servants of Sauron. They crouched listening. The voices and the clink of weapons and harnesses were close. Frodo and Sam loosened their small swords in their sheaths. Flight was impossible. Gollum rose slowly and haunched his insect-like, uh, sorry, and crawled insect-like to the lip of the hollow. Very cautiously he raised himself inch by inch until he could peer over it between two broken points of stone. He remained there without moving for some time, making no sound. Presently the voices began to recede again and then slowly fade away. Far off a horn blew on the ramparts of Maranan. Then quietly Gollum drew back and slipped down the hollow. More men are going to Mordor, he said in a low voice. I have not seen men like these before. No, Schmigel is not. They are fierce, with black eyes, gold rings in their ears. Lots of beautiful gold. And some have red paint on their cheeks. And red cloaks. And their flags are red. And the tips of their spears. And they have round shields, yellow and black with big spikes. Not nice. Very cruel and wicked men. Almost as bad as orcs. Much bigger. Schmiegel thinks they have come out of the south beyond the great river's end. They came up that road. They have passed on to the Black Gate. But more may follow. Always more people come into Mordor. One day all people will be on the inside. Were there any oliphants? asked Sam, forgetting himself and his fear and his eagerness for news of strange places. No, no oliphants. What are oliphants? said Gollum. Sam stood up, putting his hands behind his back, as he always did when he was speaking poetry, and began. Grey as a mouse, big as a house. Nose like a snake, I make the earth shake. I tramp through the grass, trees crack as I pass. With horns in my mouth, I walk in the south. Flapping big ears, beyond count of years. I stomp round and round, never lie on the ground, not even to die. Oliphant am I, biggest of all, huge, old and tall. If you ever met me, you wouldn't forget me, and if you ever do... I don't think you won't think I'm true, but old Oliphant am I, and I never lie. That, said Sam, when he'd finished reciting, 
That's a rhyme we have in the Shire. It's nonsense, maybe, but maybe not. And we have our tales, too. And news out of the South, you know. In the old days, hobbits used to go on their travels now and again. Not that many ever came back, and not that all was said was believed. News from Bree, and not sure as Shire talk, as the saying goes. But I've heard tales of the big folk down the way in the Sunderlands. Swirtings, we call them in our tales, and they ride on olifants, it's said when they fight. They put houses and towers on the olifants' backs and all, and the olifants throw rocks and trees at one another. So when you said men out of the south, all red and gold, I said, were there any olifants? For if there was, I was going to take a look, risk or no. But now I don't suppose I'll ever see an olifant. Maybe there is no such thing. He sighed. No, no, Oliphants, said Gollum again. Schmeagel has not heard of them. He does not want to see them. He doesn't want to be true. Schmeagel wants to get away from here and hide. Hide somewhere safer. Schmeagel wants Master to go. Nice Master, won't he come with Schmeagel? Frodo stood up. He had laughed in the midst of all his cares when Sam trod out the old fireside rhyme of Oliphant, and the laugh had released him from hesitation. I wish we had a thousand olifants with Gandalf and a white one at their head, he said, and then we'd break away into this evil land, perhaps. But we've not. We've just our own tired legs, that's all. Well, Schmeagel, the third turn may be the best. I'll come with you. Good, master. Wise, master. Nice, master, cried Gollum in delight, patting Frodo's knees. Good, master. Then rest now, nice hobbits, under the shadow of the stones, close under the stones, Rest and lie quiet till the yellow face goes away. And then we can go quietly, soft and quick as shadows we must be.